morning, LC. How are we feeling? 9 a.m. service. Y'all are the early birds of Living Church. Congratulations. If you showed up at 9.15 and thought, what's happening? We bumped our service to 9 o'clock so we could add one a little bit later in the day to make more room. And as I look around, I'm excited. We've got some empty seats. That's a good thing, right? Anytime you add a service, you want to create more space because in the next three to six months, those seats are going to be full of your friends and your family members and people in our community who need Jesus. So thank you for making the adjustment and being here early. And if you didn't show up till 9.15, you got it next week. You're going to figure it out next week. It's all good. Uh, no worries. Today we're starting a brand new series titled, Who is Jesus? That'll carry us through Easter and a couple weeks beyond, where we're learning about who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is the most influential person in all of history. And that's not based on a pastor's opinion. That's based off of the opinion of the Time Magazine, of Huffington Post, of Google. Facebook ran an algorithm to see who the most uh, talked about person on Facebook was. Guess what? It's Jesus. He's the most influential person in all of history. The book that's been written about him, it's both his biography and autobiography, right? This book is the number one bestseller since... 1456 AD. For a long time, this is the number one bestseller ever since Gutenberg invented the printing press. And guess what the first book he printed was? The Bible. This is a monumental book. This is a book that has been sold for hundreds of years in mega quantity. Over six billion copies of the Bible have been printed and sold. And the copies that have been printed and given away are really untraceable. We have no idea how many copies of the Bible have been given away over the world. Jesus is the most influential character in all of history. Time has been split in half because of Jesus, right? You have B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after death. All of that happened because of the life of Jesus. The reason that today is March 18th is because three months, 18 days ago, and 2018 years ago, Jesus was born. It's amazing the influence that this man had. Jesus, who was born in a small town, who never traveled more than 30 miles from the place he was born. He never built an army. He never conquered a continent. But yet he's the most influential man in all of history. We know him uh, as the man who is fully God and fully man. That he has the name that is above all names. That he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. We know that the symbol of Jesus, the cross, travels all over the world in every different medium. He's famous. But who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus? We know a lot of facts about Jesus. We know a lot of statistics and information about Jesus. But really, who is he? More authors have written books about Jesus than any other person in history. More people have stood on stages and talked about Jesus than any other person. But who is Jesus? Just a short time ago, uh, Billy Graham passed away. I'm sure you saw it on the news or in your time feed that Billy Graham passed away and I've loved and admired Billy Graham for a lot of years. I've read a number of his books. I went to a number of his crusades. I have a picture of him hanging in my office. I've loved Billy Graham for a long time. But you know, even though I've read his books and I have some information and a vague understanding of facts about his life, I don't really know who Billy Graham was because I've never met him. I don't know about you, but I've seen, I think, every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that exists, right? I know a lot about Arnold. I could talk to you about his bodybuilding career. I could talk to you about the movies that he's been in. I could even talk to you about his political career. I know all of this information about Arnold, but yet I don't really know who he is. 
Rachel, all the time, she turns on one of her favorite shows, and we're watching Chip and Joanna Gaines, right, down in Waco, and we're watching them. We've even been down to the Magnolia, and we've taken a picture in front of the silos and gave them some of our money for something that was overpriced, right? And I like Chip. I like Chip. He's a hard worker. He's all about the bottom line. I like that guy. He's my kind of man. But I don't know him. I don't know who he is. You know, the way that you really get to know somebody is by sitting across the table from them and talking with them and getting to know a little bit about them. And to really know someone, they have to get to know you. So I don't know Billy or Arnold or Chip because they don't know me and because I've never had the opportunity to sit down across from the table and talk with them. And here in the great country of Texas, right, we are right in the middle of the Bible Belt and a lot of people here know information about Jesus. But I think that sometimes we think because we have stats and info about Jesus that we know who he is. But in this series, we want to look at who Jesus said he was. In the Bible, there are four Gospels written by some of Jesus' closest friends. And John, Jesus' closest friend, captured seven different times that Jesus made the statement, I am. Seven times, Jesus sitting across from a table talking with his friends, he said, hey guys, here's who I am. Not here's what I've done, not here's what I can accomplish, not here's a list of rules and regulations for you, here's who I am as a person. We're going to walk through who Jesus says that he is, and I don't want you to miss a week, because as we learn about who Jesus is, it helps us be grateful for what he did for us. I'll say that one more time. As we learn who Jesus is, it makes us more grateful for the thing that he provided for us. And so I want you to grow in this, that we can understand who Jesus is. John, all throughout his book, he captured these seven statements, and Jesus said some amazing things about who he was. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that will provide for you the sustenance that you need. When you're in relationship with me, you won't be hungering for things of the world. He said that I am the good shepherd. And the sheep know my voice, and I'll lay my life down for them. He told us he's the good shepherd. He tells us that he's the true vine. That if you're connected to the true vine, then you're going to receive everything as you need as an outflow of who God is. In two weeks, everyone say two weeks, it's Easter Sunday. And I'm so excited. On Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about how Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the door. You know what a door does? A door gives you access from one place to another. Because there used to be a wall that man was unable to get through until God installed a door. And that door allows people that are broken in a relationship with God to now have access to a... Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach on Easter. And so we're going to talk about how Jesus said, I am the door. But today, we're looking at a time that Jesus said something powerful. He said something that's influenced and affected my life and I think about all the time. It's found in John 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Everyone say light. light. John 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to all the people saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. And to understand this verse, to understand this, I want you to get the context, the background, the story of what's happening. John chapter 8 really started in John chapter 7. You know, man, we went through the Bible later and added chapters and verses and all the numbers. Like, the authors didn't write John chapter 8. So we just put that in there so we could all be on the same page and understand what we're talking about. But 
previous to Jesus saying this in John chapter 7, he is at what's called the Festival of Tabernacles. Festival of Tabernacles is an eight-day celebration that they uh, had in Jewish culture where all the people would come together and celebrate and have a party for eight days. Remember, Jesus is a party starter. And so Jesus shows up to the party, and he's hanging out with everybody, making friends, having a good time. And at the end of the party, at the end of the eight days, Jesus makes this statement. But if you aren't familiar with the Festival of Tabernacles, let me tell you just a little bit about it. The heartbeat of the celebration is to look back at what God did for the Israelites when he brought them out of captivity of Egypt and, pr- and as he provided for them in the wilderness. And so they have all of these traditions that they're doing to remember what God did. They're remembering that he provided water for them out of the rock. They're remembering that God fed them manna and fed them quail. They're remembering that God was their protector and their defender. So they're remembering all these things, but they're also looking forward to the fact that God's going to provide them a Messiah, a Savior. And so there's this big celebration. People decorate their homes. It's like Christmas. They have traditions around food and traditions around music. But one of the traditions that they had was amazing. In the center of town, they would set up four gigantic candle abras full of candles, and they would light these in the middle of the city and let them run all night long. And these candles were so bright that they would light up the entire downtown area, and no matter where you were in the city or even on the hills around the city, you could see the glow of the city. And the people would celebrate this, and to us, we think, well, that's not really a big deal. That's because we all have flashlights on our iPhones, right? That's because we all, from a flip of a switch, can turn on lights, and we have headlights on our cars, and there are street lamps in our neighborhoods. But in this day, when it was dark, it was dark. Like, there was, have you ever been out camping, like, out in the dark? And it's kind of scary, right? You can't see anything. So this is how it was in that day. When the sun went down, you couldn't work. You had a hard time going anywhere unless you lit a fire. And so for these eight days, so the celebration could continue, they had these big candelabras burning. And the candelabras, they represented something that God did for them in the wilderness. When the people left Egypt and were in the wilderness, the Bible says that God sent them a cloud by day, a giant cloud to cover them and keep them out of the sun until the cloud would move, it would guide the people where to go. And by night, God would send a pillar of fire. Now I want you to imagine that you're one of the Israelite people that have been living in the wilderness or been living in captivity of the Egyptians for 400 years. Think about the first night they left Egypt. The first night they were used to living within the walls of the boundaries of the mega power of the day, the Egyptians. They had the Egyptian army, the walls. The Egyptians would have fires burning in the night so it wouldn't be dark. But now they find themselves in the wilderness in the dark. They have no walls. They have no army. They hear wolves howling in the background. During the day, they saw snakes on the ground and scorpions crawling into holes. And now it's pitch black outside, and they don't know what to do. And then, boom, pillar of fire appears. This giant pillar of fire appears in the night sky, and now they feel secure and confident, and they can see, and they aren't afraid. And so Jesus is standing in front of these gigantic candelabras. He's standing right in front of them. And the Bible tells us that before Jesus says this in John chapter 8, it says that he's teaching the people at dawn. So it's right in the morning. It's on the ninth day of the celebration. The celebration's over. The candelabras would have burnt out, but the, the forms are still there. And Jesus is standing in front of these candles that remind everybody about what Jesus did in the wilderness. And he says, I am the light of the world. 
that I'm the one who comes into your situation where you feel hopeless and dark, and I provide light. I'm the one who comes in and scares away the wolves. I'm the one who's going to come in and protect you in a big way. I am the light of the world. And it's a massive deal because the pillar was something that they all understood and that they all remembered. Let me read it again. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the one who will protect you. I'm the one who will guide you. I'm the one who will provide for you to make a way. And can I tell you something else? I won't burn out. You see these candles that are behind me? They're burnt out. The wax is all over the ground. I won't burn out. And I've got to imagine that the people that are sitting there listening to Jesus think, this is an audacious claim. This is a gigantic claim that Jesus is making. But I think that some of them had to remember the story associated when Jesus was born. Remember when Jesus was born in a little town of Bethlehem, in a little manger where nobody knew who he was? And then all of a sudden, you know what appeared in the sky? Light. A star appeared in the sky. And as he's making this statement, I've got to imagine that there's some older people there that remembered the story of his birth, and they're going, wow. You remember the wise men? You remember how King Herod was looking for him? Do you remember how that worked? Now he's a man, he's an adult, he's standing in front of the candelabras representing the pillar of fire, and I remember the star that appeared, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that will direct you to God. And in this day, the people, they associated God with light. Because people would be very uh, familiar with the teachings of Moses, and we all know it in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. It says this, it says, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. You ever felt like that? Formless, empty, and dark. And it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, the first thing God says in the Bible, He says, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light, and it was good, and he separated the light from the dark. The first thing that God does is he introduces light to us. It's the first thing that he shows us. And again, Jesus comes along, and he says, hey, me, I'm the light of the world. I know that you're thankful for what God did through the pillar of fire. I know that you're looking for a Messiah. I know that you remember that God is light, but hey, it's me. I'm the one that you're looking for. And it's this audacious claim, this massive statement that Jesus makes. Jesus is the light of the world. But this story, this moment, this I am statement, it's bookended with these two incredible stories that Jesus tells. Now, I don't have time to unpack both of the stories all the way. I've preached over them in the past. But I want to show you how they connect with Jesus defining for us who he is. The first, before Jesus Tell, makes the statement, I am the light of the world. So he's standing in front of the candelabra. The sun's coming up because it's dawn. He's reminding people of God's creation. And right before he says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees, they've grabbed a woman that they've caught in the act of adultery. So the festival was eight days. This is the ninth morning. This lady had uh, too much fun. The eighth day of the celebration, right? And the Pharisees have found her. She's probably partially dressed. They grab this woman. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Moses' law says that we should murder her, that we have the right to kill her. And Jesus responds to this in John chapter 8. Jesus says, let any one of you 
who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she asked. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here we are, John chapter 8, verse 12. The woman is still there. It says, while Jesus spoke again to the people. So Jesus was teaching in front of the candelabra. He's rudely interrupted by the Pharisees. Now it says, when he spoke again. So he's just continuing his teaching. He says with this woman right in front of him, he says, I am the light of the world. So for this woman that should be murdered, that should be killed, that her shame should have ended her life, he says, hey, sweetie, it's okay. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to shine over you. I'm here to make sure that this religion doesn't kill you, but that you have forgiveness through me. But then look at what he says. He goes even a step, yeah, come on. He goes even a step farther, and he says, whoever, speaking to her, not just the religious people that got it all together, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, not only, woman, do I not condemn you, but I tell you that you have light that you can shine. It's an amazing concept that this lady who is obviously having a hard time, this lady who is full of sin and feels dirty in the moment, Jesus says, not only do I not condemn you, but I fill you with my light, that you could shine in the darkness, that you could be an influencer of the people around you. After this, the religious rulers of the day, they start to question Jesus And in normal Jesus fashion, he annihilates them through the debate. And they start to get frustrated and they start to get angry. And the Bible says that they pick up rocks and they're talking about murdering Jesus. And I think that that religious people, they get frustrated when there's compassion shown to someone in sin. Right? And so if when someone in your life that has been full of sin and they get their life together, if you get frustrated... Maybe you've got some religiosity that you need to shake off of yourself because that's what these guys are doing. Instead of celebrating that this lady's been saved, they're now wanting to kill the guy who made the restoration of her life. That's a whole other point. I don't have time to to get into that. And so, okay, so they're about to kill Jesus. They're going to throw rocks at Jesus because he says, I'm the light of the world and he forgives this woman's sins. And the Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 59, so 859 is the last verse in the book of, or chapter 8, But remember, the chapters and numbers don't really matter. So it says this, uh, 8.59, he slipped away. So Jesus is like, oh, y'all going to hit me with rocks? Peace, I'm out. So Jesus slips away. And then John chapter 9, verse 1, the very next sentence, it says, as he went along. So he slipped away. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. He sees a guy who's been blind from birth. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now put your hands in front of your eyes. Come on, participate. I know. Some of you look like you're asleep at the 9 o'clock. I'm giving you a little nap time anyways. Now, what do you see? What do you see right now? Darkness. You see darkness. Now open your eyes. So that man, in that day, the only thing he had seen from birth was darkness. Okay? Let's keep going. The Bible tells us that what Jesus did is he has an interaction with a man, and then Jesus spits on the ground disgusting, right? This is not hygienic, Jesus. He spits on the ground, he bends down and he makes some mud, and he takes the mud and he puts it over the man's eyes. The guy already can't see, now he's got mud and spit in his eye. 
And Jesus tells him to go and wash it off. And when he does, the, mind, the man is healed. And he has moved from darkness into light. Now, I want you to understand what Jesus did here. Jesus took something of him, and he put it in dirt. And then he used the thing that he put in the dirt to be the thing that provided the healing for the man who was walking in darkness. Now, I don't know if you know where I'm going, but this is some good stuff. Jesus, he looks at this man who's in darkness. He looks at someone who has no hope of providing healing for himself. And he spits on dirt, and he uses dirt to provide the healing for the man. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says that God formed us out of dirt. That all we are is dirt. I know that I might polish up well, but all I am is a big pile of dirt. All you are is a big pile of dirt. But when you are in close relationship with Jesus and he puts something in you, he will use you to take someone from darkness into light. That's what he's created us to do, to use us. He puts the, the light, Jesus, I'm the light, of the, the light, put something into dirt and then use the dirt, I keep saying it because I don't know if you got it yet, to move a man from darkness into light. As he, he heals this blind guy, as he's healing him, he turns to his disciples. So the dude has mud on his face. Jesus pauses the miracle and he says this to the disciples. John chapter 9 verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him, God, who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Listen to this. While I, speaking of himself, am in the world, I am the light of the world. While Jesus is on earth, he says, I am the light of the world. But see, then Jesus flips the script on us. Because in Matthew chapter 5, he tells us this. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. It's not just Jesus that's the light of the world. You, I don't know if you get it. You, you are the light of the world. Your mess is the light of the world. The moment that you felt thrown before Jesus, like religious people wanted to murder you, you're the light of the world. The moments that you're blind and feel covered in mud, you're the light of the world. Your story is the light of the world. Your experiences are the light of the world. We are dirt, and we are filled with something powerful, and we are the light of the world. Put up Matthew 5 for me. Matthew 5 Jesus, he tells us, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. Remember the stands? They put the light on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light of of the world. The reason that we go to three services is so we can provide space for them to come in and sit amongst the light of the world. So they can sit by you and rub shoulders with you because some days you're dirty, but Jesus still loves you. And it's in that great things happen. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when God puts something in you, he says, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses. You will be my light. You will be my representatives in the world. So good. I believe that the reason that most people don't shine 
is because they don't feel shiny. I've been pastoring a long time, youth pastor, young adult pastor, adult pastor, and I think that the reason most people think it's my job to shine is because they look at their own lives and they don't feel very shiny. You look at your marriage or your finances or your relationships or the mistakes you made back in high school or in college or last night, and you look at yourself and you feel like you aren't shiny enough to shine. Jesus says to the woman, half naked, caught, she's literally caught having sex with a guy she's not married to, brought before Jesus, and he says to her, I am the light of the world. Anyone, say anyone. Anyone. I've been reading it all morning. It's just hidden right there. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. He uses this woman who's caught in sin. He uses dirt to move someone from darkness to light. He uses us to be the light of the world. So I'm in, I'm, I'm in bed a couple nights ago trying to go to sleep, and I can't go to sleep because I'm just thinking about this whole dirt, dirt, light thing, healing, and I just I can't sleep. And it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I start thinking about this idea that the only way that light is visible is if it has a surface to reflect off of. So I'm thinking about that. The only way that light is visible is it has a surface to reflect off of. Rachel's dead asleep. I'm laying in bed. I can't get this thing out of my head, and so I get up. I get out of bed, and she says, what are you doing? I said, I have to go and do an experiment for my sermon. And... (laughs) And Rachel is used to my insanity, and so she's like, whatever, and she goes back to sleep. So I get up, and I go and find a flashlight in my house, and I get my flashlight, and so I walk outside. It's 1.30, and I walk outside, and I turn my flashlight on, and I shine it on my house, and I can see the beam. Then I walk out into the yard where there's no tree branches or no power lines or anything above me, and I shine it straight up into the air, and you know what happened? You can't see it. And so I'm turning it on and off and on and off and on and off. And I, I can't see. It's not affecting my life. It's maybe aliens are up there thinking I'm signaling them or something, right? <laughs> but I keep shining it, and I have this bright light that will blind you if you shoot in your eye. And I can't see it because it has nothing to reflect off of. Jesus said, while I am in the earth, I am the light of the world. But then Jesus ascends into heaven, he puts something in us, and he shines on us. Our life is the thing that reflects what Jesus did. Come on, somebody. And so we just have to be willing to allow ourselves to be a reflection of what God is doing. So I'm out in my backyard, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing that my light isn't reflecting on anything. And then I see the moon in the sky. You know, the moon's bright at night. It doesn't look as bright because we live in cities and we have uh, ambient light on, on earth, so it doesn't look as bright. But if you go out in the middle of the nowhere, the moon is really bright. Did you know that the moon is not on fire? That the moon is not made of batteries and covered in LED light bulbs? That the moon, the reason the moon shines is because it reflects the light of the sun. So the moon reflects the light of the sun, S-U-N, And we're supposed to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N. And so his light shines on us, and we glow. But you know what? You know what the moon is made of? I don't really know because I'm not like a NASA scientist or something. But the moon is made of dirt. It's made of space dirt. Space dirt. And so this giant 
The moon is just a pile of dirt that's held together by gravity. I'm not a scientist, right? That's all that it is. So the moon shines so bright, it gives light to the whole earth. But it's made of dirt. And so if you're made of dirt, you don't have to be clean to shine. You just have to be positioned in the right place for God to shine on your life. And when we would position ourselves in God's presence to not only receive light, but to reflect light, then what's going to happen is we're going to fill this place up. And we're going to see people reached for the glory of God. It doesn't matter how dirty you feel. It just matters if you're willing to shine. So don't look at how messed up you are. Don't look at how dirty you are. The moon is not a giant uh, uh, disco ball. It's not like this big thing made of mirrors that little green men come out in Windex every morning, right? It's a pile of dirt. But because the light hits it, it shines, it glows, it illuminates the world. It doesn't matter how you feel. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then he flips the script on us and he says, but in me, you are the light of the world. Easter is two weeks away. Two weeks away, it's Easter Sunday. And everybody is willing to attend church once a year or twice a year on Easter. What are we doing with that opportunity? All of you are going to go to work tomorrow or sometime this week. You're going to see family. You're going to be on social media. And the question is, will you reflect the light of what Jesus has done in your life? How many of you are thankful for what God's done in your life? Let me see your hands. Okay. Me too. I'm thankful. And so the reason that I try to shine is because I remember what God's done in me. And so over the next two weeks, take advantage of this opportunity. Post about it on social media. We're giving you guys content all the time. We're shooting videos. We're posting logos. We're, if you're not following Living Church on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, follow us. Repost that stuff. And I understand that you might have posted about the margaritas you were drinking on Thursday night, and you're like, man, can I, can I post about the church? Yes, post about it, man. Listen, we're all in process. It's okay, right? We're all, it's all good. Some people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Listen, we're not called to be perfect. We're called to be forgiven. And it's in our imperfection that God is the one who has made great. So post about it. Share about it. Today when you leave, the ushers have invite cards. We have a stack of three. Everybody's going to get a stack of three invite cards. The challenge is use them. Use them. Give them to somebody. Pass them out to somebody. You've got a friend or a family member or a neighbor. It's an easy opportunity. Hey, where are you going to Easter? Don't even give them an option. Don't say, are you going to church? No, 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 no. Where are you going for Easter? Because if they don't go here, I want them going somewhere. Because can I tell you something? This world is full of darkness. I meet hurting, broken people every single day that just need Jesus. Invite them. The reason we're going to three services is to provide more room so we can shine greater. Take advantage of the opportunity. You know, a little light goes a long way in a lot of darkness. A little light goes a long way in a lot of darkness. You could have a 100,000 square foot warehouse that was completely blacked out, and one light turning on would have a massive impact. It would allow you to see, it would illuminate the whole room just from that one light. And you might think, but Pastor, I don't have the Bible, I don't have all the scripture memorized. You're up there talking about Old Testament stuff and New Testament stuff and weaving it together. You don't have to do that. All we have to do is reflect what Jesus has done on us, and it's going to make a massive difference. Rachel came home a couple weeks ago with a gift for the kids, and she pulled it out of her bag, and it was little stars that look like this. Have you seen these? 
they're little glow-in-the-dark stars. And so she got these, and we taped them on the wall of Lillian's room, and then we turned the lights off, and they all glow. And the reason they glow is because they've been in the presence of light. And if you've been coming to church for more than this Sunday, <laughs> you're in the presence of light. God has put something in you. We can either, uh, obs- I don't have time to do the whole thing. We can either absorb light, right, and shine and glow. We can either reflect light or we can transmit, transition light, which means it just shines through us and doesn't have an effect, like a piece of glass, doesn't absorb it or reflect it. This too, Bill, not a science guy, right? But what we have to do is the light that we absorb, we have to go out into the world and shine. Because if you're not shining, you're not fully fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. That's a hard line. You can make all the money in the world, but if you're not shining, you're not doing the thing that God created you to do. You can be in perfect physical condition, but if you're not shining, you're not doing the thing that God's created you to do. You can be totally happy in your life, but if you're not shining, you're not fulfilling the thing that God's created you to do. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.